0: Aegon IV legitimized all his bastards on his deathbed. And how much pain, grief, war, and murder grew from that? I know you trust Jon, but can you trust his sons or their sons? The Blackfyre pretenders troubled the Targaryens for five generations until Barristan the Bold slew the last of them on the Stepstones.
1: Now as King Rob was writing his will, Catelyn tried to impress upon him the dire consequences of legitimizing bastards. Blackfire rebellions were the best possible choice for her example, as they represent the worst-case scenario. So, hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. This, <laughs> yes, HBO's Game of Thrones. <laughs> this is episode one: Seeds of the Blackfire Rebellion. This is the first of many episodes leading up to the Battle of Redgrass Field, the final battle of the first Blackfire Rebellion. This episode is spoiler-free, except for the World of Ice and Fire and some very, very mild Dunkin' Egg spoilers. They're so mild that they're really barely worth mentioning.
0: Yeah, just some of the historical backdrop that is featured in those stories, nothing actually related to the stories themselves. So you won't be spoiled on the plots of those at all um before we get started we have a few uh, announcements and things to go through uh, we'll try to make it quick of course um as usual we have people behind the scenes that are giving us a little bit of help helping us with either research or uh certain topics or just giving us their opinion on certain theories things like that that help us um you know kind of put it all together and, and make sure like we do to take the whole picture of things so a big uh, a big shout-out to helper Rhaenys Targaryen from the Westeros.org boards, who is the probably leading expert on the planet as far as A Song of Ice and Fire timelines. Mm-hmm. And she also does some of her own writings on the boards as well, so you can check that out. Check her out. She's got some good stuff.
1: If you've so, looked at the wiki, you've, she, she's helped you out. Before. That's
0: true. Yeah, <laughs> if you've ever read the wiki of Ice and Fire at all, you are familiar with her work. So there mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> now, as far as... Uh, people who have helped financially, uh, of course, we have to give uh, those people their just their due. And um,
1: you don't sound like you I'm supposed to say, say just
0: desserts. Ah, you bad people giving us money. Uh, so first of all, a shout out to our new hand of the king, an official title uh, from our Patreon subscribers. That is Cash Craig. Cash. You'll be hearing his name, yeah, <laughs> Cash Craig. You'll be hearing his name a lot because uh, one of the benefits of being hand of the king is getting your name mentioned every episode. So that's that. Uh, thanks a lot, Cash. He's one of our biggest supporters and a great guy. We we, we talk all the time. So he's he, certainly a few of the thoughts that have made it in our episodes in the past. At least a couple of those are uh, hit to his credit. Also, James Saunders from the UK. Thanks very much, James, for your support. Uh, you've been one of our biggest supporters, and we wanted to thank you for that. Also, Stephen Lewis. Thanks, Stephen, for the support. And Jordan Glover. Uh, thank you as well. Uh, if we missed anybody that we owed a shout-out, please let us know. We've done some We've changed a few things around lately, and some things may have gotten lost in the shuffle. We no longer do automatic shout-outs if you miss that announcement. If you ask for one, you'll get one, uh, provided you give a donation, of course. But um, we don't do that by default anymore. So, onward.
1: We did have one thing that people have been asking us. Uh, they don't know our names. <laughs> That's so. right.
0: Some people. We've been. We used to say that regularly, but we don't anymore. Uh, we kind of just assumed everybody knows who we are. But we're constantly getting new subscribers. It's important for us to kind of remind people who we are. I'm Aziz,
1: and I'm Ashea. If you watch us on YouTube, you'll notice that our name is AA Podcast. That's why it's AA Podcast. YouTube wouldn't wouldn't let us have our title be History of Westeros, oddly. Yeah, so, for some
0: reason. So That's
1: the story. We're not we're not Azor Ahai podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, on to the episode. We're really excited to do the Blackfire Rebellions. As, as Ashea said, there's going to be several, uh, probably six, seven, or eight episodes uh, for the Blackfire. And that's just the first part here. Um, it's a great topic. It's one of the biggest historical topics, one of the most important topics. So let's stop talking about it and <laughs> get into it. In my opinion, in our opinion, in mean, a lot of your opinions, you'd probably share this opinion, that George R. R. Martin crafts characters thoroughly and beautifully. The relationships, they make sense. The laws of human nature are followed. This makes it more compelling. It feels more realistic. And it's so prevalent in his writing that it applies not just to A Song of Ice and Fire, but to the backstory, to the history. The Blackfire epic feels like several stories written between the lines, and well, that's because there are. Several stories written between the lines.
1: And there are some others that are just spelled out and meant to be taken at space value.
0: Absolutely. A great combination of both. This episode and its companions will seek to highlight these hidden stories, as we always do at History of Westeros. And one of the main ways we'll seek to understand the Blackfyre Rebellions is by examining the lives of those who made it happen, as well as the major events that they caused.
1: Mm -hmm. By looking through the eyes of the main characters, we'll reveal the events that shaped these key individuals. Why did Daemon Blackfyre rebel? Why was Bittersteel so bitter? And in particular today, why was Aegon Fourth called the Unworthy?
0: You'll see that there are quite a few mm-hmm. reasons he earned that nickname now. But because we're dealing with people whose whims could cause war, whose blood makes them traitors, whose legacy would threaten stability for generations, well... It makes sense to look at why they behave the way they do.
1: Simply put, it's the history of the characters who made history.
0: Yeah, this is a worthwhile endeavor only because George R. R. Martin has made it so. With with most authors, the more you dig, the more holes you find. The the less. It fits, and the less it makes sense, the mysteries become smoke, the shiny surfaces become mirrors. This undermines enjoyment, so why why even do it? Uh, Why look behind the curtains if it's going to break the spell?
1: Because we want to, because it's fun, damn it. I I mean, to you and me, to all the listeners out there, we're curious. And with George, the more we dig, the better it seems to get, the more it seems to make sense, really.
0: Yeah, instead of curiosity killing the cat, curiosity resurrects the cat by the dozen and sends it forth to do its bidding, then creates a religion based on this zombie cat cult. Mm. So this cat... Zombie cat? Zombie cat. Oh, there we go. Hmm. (laughs) It all fits. But this cat, or uh, this king, who fathered so many important bastards, was, by extension, also the father of the Blackfyre Rebellions. What better place to begin? We've divided his life into five parts. One for each king he lived under, including himself. Uh, His own weight, you could maybe make him describe that he lived under himself. (laughs) That didn't work. Each Targaryen king had a unique and crucial impact on Aegon, on the realm, on Dorne, and in setting up our main topic, the Blackfyre Rebellions. When he became king in 172 AC, upon the death of his father, Viserys II, Aegon IV used the power of the throne, above all else, to satisfy his desires. He wasn't exactly the most ambitious... Uh, although he was very ambitious about, you know, women and drinking and eating.
1: And getting the throne itself.
0: Yeah, that's true. And in actually getting the throne was maybe, perhaps the one thing he was truly ambitious about. Um, in, in affairs of state, he was absent at best.
1: Archmaester Keith wrote, No king before or after would practice so much willful misrule.
0: So it actually sounds more like things were better when he wasn't trying to rule. <laughs> his attention was more destructive than his carelessness. You could say. And put another way, the times he wasn't involved with his mistresses may have been worse than the times he was.
1: If we were to rank the Targaryen kings by who the absolute worst were, the, one of the first we think of, of course, is the Mad King. Maegor the Cruel would probably come to mind, too. But Aegon Fourth was arguably the worst of them all. Who do you think the worst is, Aziz?
0: I think it's a, it's a close call. I think I'm... Maybe just because I've spent so much time thinking about Aegon Fourth recently, it kind of highlights him. But... I can see the argument for maybe Aerys, or yeah. I don't. I don't really think there's another guy that.
1: that... Yeah, I think I think it's Ares because I think that he's the only one of them that, that you know caused the downfall of the Targaryens. Whether you know how much he was truly the downfall, and I do think that was overall bad for the realm, at least at the moment. So I I, I think he's the worst.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The the, the whole idea that. Especially if you're a Targaryen fan, then the guy who you know blew it for the Targaryens—that's that's, a, <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty big deal. As far as the creating the most war and death, it's that's a toss-up. I'm not really sure who you could—they yeah, both caused so yeah. much. It's hard to say who was worse. So, anyway uh feel free to let us know who you think was worse the uh, the mad king or eggon the fourth but wait till we've given you the full story before you make your decision so we'll start at the beginning of his life because george has laid the foundation for us to understand at least in part why eggon the fourth became eggon the unworthy what kind of king could earn such a nickname what kind of man could cause such chaos
1: so this is part one, Born in Aftermath, The Reign of Aegon III. Born in 135 to Viserys Targaryen and Lara Rogare of Lys during the tail end of the Regent Wars, which was essentially a power struggle enabled by Aegon Third's youth. The Regent Wars, however, ended suddenly when the Inking came of age, of course, no more regent, and he took a firm hand. Our Aegon's father, Viserys, was eventually made Hand of the King, and he was the Hand of the King for the two after him. But this probably came later, as Viserys was only 14 at this time.
0: Now, a quick note, we're going to call him our Aegon quite a bit in this episode to distinguish him from all the other Aegons that come up. Of course, Aegon is a really, really common name in the Targaryen line, and we can't just call him Aegon Fourth all the time, because we're, we're dealing with his whole life, and he wasn't <laughs> king, you know, mm-hmm. when he was born or anything. So, just a little note there to hope you. hopefully you guys will get too confused. There's also a lot of Daerons, and we mentioned Viserys several times, but there's just the one Viserys, so... <laughs> Uh, no need to get confused there Now for the most part Aegon never seemed very likely to rule In the first place Though the regent wars were tumultuous The king's life, Aegon Third, Here's our first mm-hmm. you know, reason for specifying which Aegon <laughs> is Aegon the Aegon III's life Didn't seem to be in much danger despite the regent wars Though his first queen was probably murdered He himself didn't seem to be in much danger uh, And of course he's a As we said, he was a very young man, so we would expect him to live many more years and probably have more children. So that would just push Aegon farther and farther back.
1: A year or so after our Aegon was born, um, his brother Aemon followed, and a six-year winter ended. Though this episode is mostly about his brother, the prince, later called the Dragon Knight, could easily have an episode of his own. And he probably will. Yeah, Aemon he probably, probably will. will. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, a, he's a great character. Going
0: through all this info, it just became him, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Aemon and Aegon <laughs> both became amongst the most famous of Targaryens, but they became famous in very different ways. The two would have many disagreements, some of which were so famous that they're still remembered.
0: Yeah, and their stories are clearly important, as George R. R. Martin brings them into the narrative at a fairly early point. The brothers are spoken of by Maester Aemon in a famous moment for Jon Snow, the scene when he discovers that the Maester is actually a Targaryen.
1: My grandfather named me for Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, who was his uncle or his father, depending on which tale you believe. Aemon, he called me.
0: Depending on which tale you believe is the key phrase of that quote. There, uh, it's it's the question that all Westeros asked itself during the Black rebellions while choosing to fight either for the Black Dragon or the Red.
1: Now, the quote itself is an indirect reference to the Black rebellions, and it seems to be the first in the entire series. And John later speaks to Lord Commander Mormont about this, and. Mormont also knows the history, and this shows us that these tales are still pretty well known. And so here we have this quote here. Maester Aemon was named for the Dragon Knight.
0: So he was. Some say Prince Aemon was King Garon's true father, not Aegon the Unworthy.
1: So this parentage question question is still a topic well over a hundred years later, and it's established as early as the first book.
0: Yeah, that, that great early reveal in Game of Thrones is our first mention of the two together, though Aemon is mentioned prior to the scene, and so is Nereus, their sister. Uh, George made these ancient tales, part of the Song of Ice and Fire epic, almost right away, so...
1: Yeah, so how about that bit of subtlety? Early in the series, John is getting an education on a conflict that hinged on a question of parentage and bastardy. Sneaky. And it's a question that specifically poses the question of whether someone is a father or an uncle. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. (laughs) Now, these these same questions are crucial to John's own storyline. And this is why you you just have to reread. It's really, really, really easy to miss the full significance of this because the shock of learning that the maester is a Targaryen conceals it. It's still a powerful scene on the reread, but there won't be any shock.
0: True that. To be clear, one of the two major claims Damon Blackfire had to the Iron Throne was the rumor that King Garon Second was actually the son of Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. In a different light, that's, that's a huge improvement, <laughs> a big compliment. Son of the Dragon Knight? Hell yeah. We'd much rather be son of the Dragon Knight than son of a guy called the Unworthy, <laughs> except for the whole, you know... That would mean that you're no longer the heir to the throne or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's the matter of completely nullifying your, all your rights to the crown. If true, that is. And that is the big question. If true. And and how can one know? Again, there's no, there's no DNA test oh. in Westeros.
1: Yeah, it's not unlike Stannis' claim versus Joffrey. Mm-hmm. A bastard king pretending to be true-born. Of course, the major difference here is that we readers know for a certainty who jo- who Joffrey, Tommen, and Marcella's parents are while we don't know the truth regarding Aemon, or Aegon as the father of Daron. But in both cases, the characters in the story just don't know the truth. Um, other than a select few, most Westerosi don't know if Tommen is a Baratheon or an incest Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone is left to weigh what evidence they do or don't have, and this relies on what rumors or stories are told and who tells them.
0: Yeah, in the end... Here's a great quote. Treason is only a word. When two princes fight for a chair where only one may sit, great lords and common men alike must choose. And when the battle's done, the victors will be hailed as loyal men and true, whilst those who were defeated will be known forevermore as rebels and traitors.
1: So like that sneaky awesome John parallel, we also have Prince Aemon and and Sir Jaime Lannister, both Kingsguard knights suspected in having fathered the king on the queen. And in both cases, the queen is their sister. Mm-hmm. So there we have two rich history-repeats-itself situations. And we're going to continue to notice similarities to other characters as we move along here. And there are a lot.
0: Yeah, as, a, as always, George's historical backdrop... Often has very strong parallels to the current story, and that's one of the things that gives so much value in examining these historical stories. Already, we've got parallels to John's parentage, John's battery, we've, parent, we've got parallels to Jamie and Cersei, and, and yeah, there's gonna be more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other of the two major claims was that, uh, two, that Damon had to the throne. Was that he possessed not just the name Blackfire, but the Targaryen sword of kings that bears the same name? Now, like Aemon the Dragon Knight, there's a good chance we'll do a bonus episode just dedicated to the sword Mm Blackfire, which is of course the Valyrian steel blade wielded by Aegon the Conqueror himself. Mm
1: -hmm. So look
0: for an episode along along that uh, about that rather um, at some (laughs) point in the next couple months.
1: But in the meantime, Aegon and Aemon's sister Neris the mother in these questions of parentage mm-hmm. and Aegon's future wife was born two years later in 138. She was a delicate child who grew up to be gentle and extremely pious. She also grew up knowing her father would likely marry her to her brother Aegon. At some point, probably fairly fairly early on, this must have given her a deep sense of foreboding. Having him to look forward to as a hus- husband for life it must have been pretty soul crushing. <laughs> It might have a lot to do with her frailties though those could have been inborn. She was a very light eater and appeared emaciated at times and she found physical activity very taxing.
0: As we'll see uh, as we'll see throughout this episode her frailties didn't slow agon her future husband down at all. He didn't care that <laughs> what he was doing to her was likely to kill her. And that's part of why he was the unworthy. <sighs> mm-hmm. Anyway, it's tempting, to, it's tempting to connect Aegon's eventual descent into lust and pleasure-seeking, which got worse pretty much with every year of his life. Uh, connecting that to his mother's Lysine origin is maybe something that's tempting to do. The Lyceni are known for their pleasure houses, and the city was originally founded as a vacation spot for the elite of Valyrian society. Yeah, very fancy.
1: That is an incredibly racist thought. That, 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 he, that he was pleasure-seeking just because he's half Lyceni.
0: Hey, yeah, I'm very sorry to any Lyseni out there that I may have offended, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not normally racist, but those Lyseni, I swear, they, they get me every time. <laughs> but within a year or so of Nereus' birth, when Aegon was about four... Lara, his mother, returned to Lise, leaving all three of her children motherless.
1: We don't know why she left, but the incredibly powerful Rogare family was devastated by a series of deaths that led to massive decline within a generation. Her return to Lise may have been related to all of this turmoil. I mean, it's not easy to see your family fall from what was said to be more powerful than the Iron Bank to a minor power at best.
0: But it's also not easy to abandon your three young children, what the
1: heck. Yeah, right? It's really hard to fathom. (laughs)
0: So, at age four, Egan was surely old enough to perceive this loss uh, of mother, you know, four-year-olds typically uh, no. <laughs> want their mothers. which was So, it was probably very traumatic for him and it was our first major clue to his personality. Mm-hmm. Eamon, a year, only a year younger at age three, almost certainly felt the trauma as well. Nerys, she no doubt was impacted by life without having a mother. Like, who wouldn't be? But, she was so young, at least she was spared the trauma of her leaving. She, she she was only about a year old, so she probably couldn't perceive what was happening. Now, of course, that's like I said, that's still going to have a huge impact on her life, but mm-hmm. the lack of the trauma may, uh, may be a, something that is important when we're judging these guys for their personalities and stuff. So,
1: Yeah, uh, I can't, you know, it's interesting. I can't help but think of uh, Rickon and Catelyn when I think of little Aegon. That's a, that's a good point. That's
0: a good point. Catelyn never came back either. Yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> but I also can't help but wonder if Lara tried to communicate or communicated with her children. I mean, she could have sent them letters via ship pretty pretty easily. Yeah, she's a someone powerful... Could have read and, them yeah, to, her, someone could have read it to them.
0: Yeah, you'd think that maybe that was a possibility. But if not, if that didn't happen, it might only just deepen their yeah. sense of loss or of abandonment. Um, so it, in, either, in any case, growing up without her probably contributed to Aegon and Aemon developing extreme personalities. Uh, though they were both, op- they were opposites in many ways, Aegon and Aemon. They had at least that much in common. They're both really extreme guys. Yeah. Aegon ate and drank and counted no day complete without a woman in his bed.
1: Now, while Aemon trained, prayed, and may have never had sex.
0: Yeah, Aegon had an absurd number of mistresses.
1: While Aemon joined the King's Guard at an absurdly young age.
0: Aegon, perhaps in part because his mother may have showed no responsibility nor love for him, felt no responsibility nor love for anyone else given his self-destructive tendencies that lack extended to his own person.
1: While Amon felt the heavy weight of responsibility, perhaps heightened by his brother's constant opposite example, but his willingness to endanger himself in the name of self-sacrifice, of which we will show many examples, shows courage and a tolerance for harm that far exceed what anyone would name typical, not just among knights, but among anyone.
0: Yeah. Uh, So for Nerys, the lack of mother, who would have had some ability to relate, Lara herself was married to a man not of her own choosing, which is pretty—you know—that's like yeah. par for the course for, you know, uh, noble noble-born marriages, etc. Uh, so, but in any case, Nereis didn't have that. She didn't have a mother who understood her her lot in life and her. This is possibly a level. Uh, so we're try, as far as Nereis being an extreme person as well. Well, she was extremely pious uh, and and all that. So maybe not as extreme a personality as Egon and Aemon with their like ultra you know ultra corrupt and ultra martial like noble knighthood guy. Yeah, this just this situation just created a lot of extreme people. I'm not a psychiatrist, of course. You can't take these things as you know the 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 ramblings of someone who's got a deep understanding of the human mind. But I don't think it takes an expert to know that children abandoned by their mothers and extreme tendencies go hand in hand, or at least children abandoned by their mothers turning out kind of awkward or, 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 you know, or bad. Uh, that's just, I think everyone knows that, or at least is familiar with that concept. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that that very likely was something going on in, in their lives. Now, even royal children who have support systems, like, they, you know, they sound like they're not eating or they're getting education and there's people around to talk to, but still, you know, it's, it's nothing, there's no substitute for a mother.
1: Mm-mm. And there's nothing quite like not having one. Yeah. There's no excusing the life of Aegon Fourth, but if you want reasons, if you want to dissect this beast, then here's a negative prime motivator. Yeah. And not just for the children, but for their father Viserys, too, who was likewise permanently affected by her departure.
0: Prince Viserys had the gift of charm. But he himself grew stern after his wife abandoned him and their children for her native lease. That's a quote from the One Wise and Fire.
1: Yes, and Viserys was also only 17 when this happened. So he was like this for most of his life. Even though he was the most level-headed and capable Targaryen of his era, well, maybe because he was the most (laughs) level-headed of his era... He had a huge weight on his shoulders. He had a lot of crazy to make up for and a realm to manage besides.
0: Yeah, this is not a good recipe for well raised children. You've got no mother, a very young father who later became Hand of the King, so he's very busy, mm-hmm. and of course. Yeah. You know, yeah. it bears to mention that Targaryens kind of tend to be extreme in the first place. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, and so because of this, Aegon, Aemon, and Neris would have mostly been raised by septas and maesters and other members of court.
0: Yeah, kind of a, being raised by the village, but by a corrupt village. <laughs> <laughs> Being raised at court doesn't sound like the best environment for any child, really. Mm. So these extreme personalities, though, Aegon, Amon and the quiet but also pivotal neris and their father, the powerful and effective but joyless Viserys, their interactions are crucial to the setting. They are how the Blackfyre Rebellions got started.
1: Now, Aegon V is called Aegon the Unlikely, but his predecessor and our subject, Aegon IV, was perhaps just as lucky in terms of inheriting the throne. I mean, there was nothing lucky about it for the realm.
0: Yeah, it's great for the story, though. It's <laughs> funny that I suppose you have to say that Daron Second was just as lucky then, because he's oh. the son of, uh, yeah. of Agon, that whole line. You, just, just everyone was, <laughs> everyone, going, <laughs> just everyone was lucky.
1: But at age 7 and 142, Aegon <clears throat> was likely old enough to perceive that he was second in line to the throne, behind his father and King Aegon III, who was age 22, but childless at this point, and we're told that Aegon III showed signs of staying that way.
0: Yeah, quote, He likewise came to dislike being touched, even by the hand of his beautiful queen. Even after she had flowered, he was long in calling her to his bed.
1: Perhaps Aegon's lust for the crown developed during this time when it may have seemed very close. Yeah. But in 143, Aegon was bumped down a spot by his cousin. His uncle, the king's son Daron, was born. Egon the 3rd had learned to touch his queen after.
0: Yeah, that's going to get confusing again because Egon the 3rd, his firstborn was Daron. Egon the 4th, our subject, his firstborn was Daron. Both mm-hmm. those Darons became kings too. So yeah, these yeah. Targaryen names can really get confusing. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're doing our best to to keep track of who is who, but sorry if sometimes the Darons and Egons get a little uh, off track. Yeah. But anyway. Spinning. <laughs> yeah. But in uh, so in 144, the following year, Queen Daenerys Daenerys, even, mm-hmm. you know, similar to Daeron, I mean, gave birth to another boy, Baylor. There's going to be multiple Baylors in this story as well, so we, we, I would say we apologize for that, but hey, it's George's fault. <laughs> Aegon, so that, with Baylor being born, this is Baylor the Blessed, eventually, mm-hmm. Aegon now is fourth in line mm-hmm. and falling.
1: Yeah, and in 145, the Targaryen baby parade continued with the birth of Dana, future mother of Daemon Blackfire. But it was also the year in which Aegon's mother, Lara, died at age 30. Apparently in lease, but we don't know how. It was quite possibly as part of the ongoing fall of her house.
0: Yeah, so if, if Aegon and Aemon and Nares had hopes of their mother returning, which seems likely, the, you know, being young children and all, mm-hmm. that those hopes were dashed. That may have yeah. been another... Trauma for them all to have lived through, finding out that their mother died when they're all really young still. So, now, by the time Aegon was, yeah, about ten years old, he was still behind three other princes, as we said. The king's two young sons, (laughs) both younger than him, and his own father, Viserys, who was also still a young man himself. So the crown just looked remote. We're really trying to drive that point home.
1: (laughs) Additionally, King Aegon III was only 25 or so, and Queen Daenerys had borne many children already, showing herself really, no capable of more. Thus, yeah. at the time. Why stop there? Yeah, one would think <laughs> Aegon more likely to fall farther behind in the line of succession than get closer. The king could easily have another son and Aegon would be behind any of the king's grandsons if Daron or Baylor ever had sons of their own.
0: Right, you wouldn't have guessed necessarily that Daron and Baylor would have no sons. Yeah. But they did. <laughs> Apparently though, despite this distance, fourth in line and falling as we said, we're told that Aegon coveted the crown. He eventually got his wish through a chain of events that contained odd fortune, of course, and possibly murder. Hmm. hmm. The king and Aegon's father, the Hand, were also troubled by several pretenders, literal and figurative. Well, yeah, both at the same time, really. Hmm. These were men who claimed to be Daron the Daring. Another Daron. Hey. Hmm. Former writer of Tessarion, the Blue Queen. That's a great name. I love that name. Oh, no, I a, obviously, that's the name of a dragon if you haven't read The Princess and the Queen. I had, uh,
1: had Tassarian as my um, URL on Tumblr for a while. Oh, yeah. I liked right. the name of Tassarian. <laughs> also, it was a beautiful scene with Tassarian. Yeah, it's very and sad. <laughs> it very sad. Anyway,
0: <laughs> anyway um, the younger, so he was the younger brother, this Daron the Daring, was the younger brother of Aegon II. Another Aegon. Daron was killed during the Dance of the Dragons. So, what's going on here? <laughs> well, people were claiming to be him. And so they were pretending to be Daron, who was a pretender. To the throne. <laughs> so that's a yeah. lot of Daron.
1: <laughs> but what with these multiple double pretenders and the king having named his own firstborn Daron, the father of the queen was Daron Valerian, the Daronosity of the court was out of control. There was much Daron.
0: Yeah, it's just it's overwhelming all the Daron. So these rebellions were surely not huge problems by themselves, but the implication is important. Gone were the days when many rebellions that may have happened simply were called off or the the conspirators realized, we can't rebel, there's dragons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But at this point, the royal family only had small dragons and wild dragons. Nothing fit for war, nothing particularly threatening. And this is unprecedented for the Targaryen reign.
1: So while the realm was adapting to being dragonless, our Aegon was growing up. Like the Mad King, the unworthy was promising at first.
0: Yeah, we hear this quote. He had been comely in his youth, skilled with lance and sword, a man who loved hunt and hawk and dance. He was the brightest prince at court in his generation and was admired for his whip.
1: But he quite obviously could not control his urges. The lust that he became notorious for ruled him as king and unsurprisingly, it ruled him long before he took the throne as well.
0: Now, a lot of factors contributed to Nabal Aegon's gradually increasing appetites. Though he coveted the crown, He was surely aware of the growing distance between himself and the throne. He had few responsibilities, few prospects, no office, no need to work, no mother, what was likely an absent father, Mm -hmm. and all the advantages that come from being born a handsome, skilled, charming prince. So... Mm -hmm. Everything he needed, (laughs) but nothing good.
1: (laughs) So he earned fame for having many mistresses and bastards, and he got started early in building that reputation. Mm -hmm. In 149, at age 14, he began an affair with Lady Felina Stokeworth. When they were caught two years later, she was quickly married off to the Master of Arms, Lucas Lothston, and he was granted the Castle of Harrenhal. And thus was born House Loston.
0: Yeah, this was the Viserys's own Master at Arms, so it's a little odd. We're not sure if Viserys had land, or maybe he just had a he had a, his own Master at Arms because his sons were young princes. It's not really clear, but it's also not terribly important. Just kind mm-hmm. of an interesting detail. But regardless, this distance that was put between him and his mistress, this would be the first example of him showing that obstacles don't really get in his way when when his lust is, you know. In the uh, balance, mm-hmm. the next two years, he simply just began visiting Lady Felina over at hall and it, which you know it is not that far away. Mm-hmm. So he probably went kind of often. Yeah, they probably
1: should have sent her somewhere more distant. Yeah,
0: like the, the Riverlands is like that's just so close. Yeah, she should send her north or Dorne or something like that. Yeah, just <laughs> not just a week or two ri- a weeks ride away. That's they a, couldn't
1: have sent her to Dorne yet.
0: That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but <Let's>, the north. <laughs> so by extension, uh, as well, uh, Luke Lord Lucas's son Manfred. Who was Lord of Harrenhal during the First Blackfyre Rebellion could be Aegon's son. All the the, the children of Felena Stokeworth, their parentage is very up in Suspect. the air.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, we don't know. We, we don't even know when this Manfred was born. However, so that's a kind of a thin thread, but still very interesting if true.
1: Aegon was never really challenged as a youth, though important things did happen around him, and major events transpired throughout the realm. They didn't really have much of anything to do with him. Adversity existed, just not for Aegon. (laughs)
0: This is in stark contrast to his father, a man who grew up a hostage who spent his whole life working hard. One thing Aegon and his father did have in common, not the best thing to have in common, but a thing in common nonetheless was the lack of mother. Lara, of course, left, as we covered, while Viserys' mother, Aegon's grandmother, was eaten by Sunfire the Golden during the Dance of the Dragons. Pleasant. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so the year one hundred and fifty three was a momentous year in Targaryen history, and for Aegon himself, who was now eighteen years old, he seemed to have slowed his visits to Harrenhal, perhaps in connection to his new status as husband. Early in the year, he married his sister Neres, a delicate girl still and pious, more like in personality to her cousin Rhaena or Baylor the Blessed, or their mutual brother Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight who was said to be the only one who could make her laugh. This closeness between Amon and Nares no doubt contributed to the rumors of King Daron's parentage years later.
0: Now, it hardly needs saying that Nares was a terrible match for the lustful, corrupt Aegon the Unworthy. Of course, at that, at this point, he had yet to earn that nickname. Uh, he was still a promising prince at this point, so a major weakness for women was something he could probably get away with. That's not altogether uncommon, and it wasn't; it hadn't reached the epic levels it would reach later. later. though, Nereus was likely embarrassed by Aegon's, you know, dalliances, and Aemon was surely angered by it, as, as protective as he was. But it is said, even in current times, that Nerys wept at her betting, and that the brothers, Aemon and Aegon, quarreled during the wedding. So mm-hmm. there was some. Uh, unpleasantness there as well.
1: Just after the marriage, Aemon joined the king's guard at the ripe old age of 17. <laughs> the Dragon Knight earned his nickname in part because of the dragon on his helm. The name may have come around during this time as well. Despite the poor match, nares did bear Aegon a child on the last day of 153. It was a boy, and they named him Daron, of obviously. course. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> uh his cousin Daron the future young dragon was about ten at the time, an heir to the throne.
0: So it's perhaps a little odd to have all those Darons, but Daron would conquer Dorne by age 16. That's the young dragon Daron, not Aegon's son. And this may have, and, and the young dragon convinced the great lords of the realm to accept his plan to attack Dorne when he was only 14. So what I'm getting at is that he may have been a very impressive ten-year-old, and maybe Aegon, the future unworthy, decided to name his son after this promising... <laughs> cousin of his but in any case it's pretty weird to have a second Daron in the royal family at the same time <laughs> but hey that's the Targaryens for you uh so he may have been named his so Aegon may have named his son after the young dragon but he may have named him after Queen Daenerys possibly a motherly figure for him maybe because uh, she was around and she was a mother to the other princes so it's possible something like that happened um but we don't know how long she lived uh-huh. Uh, but she was also only six years older than him, so maybe not the best motherly <laughs> yeah. figure. Maybe she was too young.
1: Or maybe Aegon liked all of those tales of Daron the Daring, who inspired so many pretenders. Uh, it could have even been his lo- his sense of humor.
0: Yeah. Nereus nearly died from the pregnancy and labor, and was told by Grandmaster Alford that another baby might kill her. She supposedly said,
1: I have done my duty by you and given you an heir. I beg you, let us live henceforth as brother and sister.
0: That is what we are doing, he replied. <laughs> <You>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Dragon Knight and naris were said to be inseparable, not only fanning the rumors of a relationship between them, but highlighting a major reason for Aemon to despise his brother. Aegon never ceased sleeping with naris despite the warnings from maesters and numerous brushes with death.
0: Numerous, yes. There would be more. This must have infuriated Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, who had to put up with seeing his brother repeatedly endanger their sister's life, merely to satisfy his lust.
1: Now, the final final major event of 153, perhaps the most important of all, was the last Targaryen dragon dying. Surely Damon Blackfire would never have risen against a Targaryen king with dragons. I mean, unless he had his own, of course. <laughs> well,
0: that would have been interesting. It would have had to be a black dragon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Now, because of this instiction, King Aegon III became known as the Dragon Bane.
1: It wasn't for lack of trying, though. There were attempts to, hack- to hatch dragons. There were no Summerhall-type events that we know of, <laughs> but the World of Ice and Fire does use the phrase debacle and failure, so there's that.
0: Yeah. Egon the Unworthy might have been witness to these attempts, and he surely heard much of, much of them, even if he didn't know, perhaps, the, the gory details. And this, despite him being busy with his next mistress, Mary Meg, whom he was with from most of 155 to 159.
1: Yeah, Aegon wound up having four daughters with her, all of whom his father had trained as septas. There are some pretty songs about Mary Meg, but her death was uh, not so pretty. No. Or Mary, No. <laughs> Aegon had taken her from a blacksmith, who then beat her to death when the prince ended their relationship. Now, halfway through that whole affair, in 157, King Aegon III died of tuberculosis, also known as consumption. He had ruled for 26 years, but he was only 36 years old.
0: Wow. Well, uh, and with his death, his eldest son inherited, so...
1: So let's move on to Part 2, The Conquest of Dorne, Reign of Daron I.
0: When he first proposed to complete the conquest by bringing Dorne into the realm at last, his lords reminded him that, unlike the Conqueror and his sisters, he had no more dragons fit for war. Well, no more dragons at all, really. Mm-hmm. That's an, uh, that quote's a little funny there. To this, fa- Daron famously responded, you have a dragon, he stands before you. <laughs> He's, no. the guy had, uh, guy had confidence. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Aegon the III's eldest son became King the I, and he set his mind to succeeding where his ancestor, Aegon the Conqueror, had failed. He intended to conquer Dorne and fast. He got started so quickly that it's pretty much beyond certain that he had it in mind from a younger age. Younger than 14.
0: <laughs> <laughs> at first he did indeed add Dorne to the realm, doing without dragons what his ancestors couldn't do with them. And again, at age 14. Well, the war was over by about the time he was 16, but still. It started when he was 14, and he won. It's crazy. Of course, Aegon the Conqueror was 27 when he began his conquest, so, so this, this Daron hmm. gets started early. The Conquest of Dorne and the Life of the Young Dragon is surely a topic worthy of a separate episode someday. Yet another... There's us yet advertising yet another episode during an hmm. episode. <laughs> now, for now, it will suffice to understand its impact on the Iron Throne's relationship with Dorne. Not just the politics but the personal relationships, the attitudes that drove the major events behind the scene, all leading to the Blackfyre rebellions. This is a concept you are familiar with. All the same A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones fans know this well. Kingdoms can earn invasion over no more than a personal grudge. Wars can be fought over the love of a woman, sibling rivalry, or just the whim of a capricious ruler.
1: Without the Young Dragon's war with Dorne, there would not have been Baylor's grand gestures of apology and peace, which included a royal marriage. Dornish influence at court was a major cause of the Blackfyre Rebellion. It was a huge sore spot for many Westerosi who had become accustomed to Targaryen rule and or those who hate the Dornish, mm-hmm. especially the Marcher Lords, who have considered the Dornish enemies for eons.
0: As it was, Daron I took Sun Spear by 158 and pacified the Rebel Lords by 159, considering the War One at that point. This would have involved running all over Dorn in the deserts, facing guerrilla tactics, thirst, you no know, comforts, you know, military campaigning in the desert. Yeah, that's just, that's just mm-hmm. rough. So Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, unsurprisingly, shined above all, save perhaps the king himself. He jumped in front of a poisoned arrow aimed at Daron, but survived. So already he's showing the devotion and extreme bravery and self-sacrifice that we alluded to earlier. To ensure the loyalty of his newly conquered subjects, the young dragon took hostages from the noble some of the noble families. Pretty standard practice. Now Aegon, our Aegon, who we assume fought in this war because of his skills and youth, and he was around... 22 at the time, was somehow allowed to be in charge of the hostages when they were brought back to King's Landing so possibly this is evidence that Aegon was close with the young dragon, I mean they were cousins and they were both royal princes and if, if he, Aegon carried himself in the war well that would certainly enamor him to Daron, as well as the you know, naming his son the same name. Uh, so maybe that's why he got this job. Maybe Daron was looked past his, you know, in, uh, his impropriety with women and gave, them, gave him charge of, uh, of these hostages, which included several women. So unsurprisingly, he developed a relationship with one of these hostages. It's unclear if this, this particular mistress, Lady Casella Veth, replaced Mary Meg, or if Aegon had already parted from her. And it gets a little interesting yeah, thinking we can't, this out.
1: We can't ignore the timing of the war and the fact that the timeline appears to show Viserys sending away Mary Meg and her daughters while Aegon was off warring with King Daron and Dorne. Now,
0: if this is true, that while Aegon was off in Dorne, his father, you know, sent his mistress off and put his daughters with that mistress in a, you know, as septas, you know, against his knowledge or not knowing that... He could have held a grudge for that, and that'll be important later on. The relationship between Aegon and his father, well, they aren't very alike, so it's pretty important.
1: Either way, Aegon may have made himself an early enemy in House Faith, as Casella was said to pine for him for the rest of her life. Though this may have really mattered very little in the grand scheme of things, as all of Dorne would come to have many reasons to dislike him and his family. Of
0: course, they had just been conquered, after all, and that alone would sow permanent hatred for House Targaryen in some, not just among those taken hostage.
1: And anyway, the traditional hostage-taking strategy didn't even work, as the commoners fueled rebellion on their own, having very little care for the highborn hostages' lives at King's Landing with their independence in the balance.
0: And also, in a political blunder that again reminds us of the young wolf, the young dragon installed a Tyrell, Mm
1: -hmm. Lord
0: Lionel, as governor of Dorne.
1: A Tyrell in charge of Dorne. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Dornishmen
1: tend to hate Tyrells and vice versa so as could easily be expected Lord Lionel did not treat his charge with care perhaps you all remember the tale of the Lord Tyrell who tried to summon a woman by pulling on a silk sash above his bedpost only to have a bunch of scorpions fall on him and kill him
0: yep stories like this would not help Dornish non-relations going forward <laughs> <laughs> and I know what you're some of you are thinking Dorne was defending itself and trying to regain independence. Dropping a bunch of scorpions on someone's head really is is nothing compared to your whole country being conquered.
1: And hey, the event took place at Sandstone, seat of House Corgyle, whose sigil is three scorpions. It's said they used over 30 sigils worth of the deadly creatures to be sure he died.
0: (laughs) 30 sigils worth. That's Mm -hmm. a great new measurement there. Uh So, but the point is that people are hypocrites. Even though the Seven Kingdoms attacked Dorne and the Dornish... Push them off, people are still going to hate the Dornish for fighting for their independence, even though it was the Westerosi, the northern Westerosi, who provoked it all. (sighs) So, despite the Dornish having, you know, a right to break free, most of Westeros is not going to see it that way, especially House Tyrell, Mm -hmm. (laughs) one would think. With Lord Tyrell's death, rebellion broke out quickly, and the young dragon returned to put it down. Again and again, he showed his prowess in the field, and he forced Dorne into negotiating a surrender. But the surrender was a trap. And he was killed during the parley. Now, there's no reason to believe that Aegon was there for this parley. He, he you know, he was probably part of the first stage of the war, but we don't see any evidence that he was part of the second phase, the putting down the rebellion, especially because of what happened to all these people. Who was there? His brother, Aemon the Dragon Knight. Aemon was captured, and though Aegon didn't seem to get along well with Aemon, again, he... They didn't share much in common at all. It doesn't mean he didn't have issues with the Dornish capturing his brother. So it's hard to say, because of all those things, it's hard to say what he actually thought about his brother being taken captive.
1: Yeah, did he? I mean, like, most families take it as a point of house pride that one of theirs is a captive of the enemy? Well,
0: maybe he just didn't care.
1: Yeah, or maybe he found some kind of perverse pleasure in it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, pretty much... that's a wide open uh, group of possibilities there. Now, Daron's incredible record as a battle commander made him hero to characters like Jon Snow and Robb Stark, who we said there's a lot of comparisons to, uh, despite this ultimate failure. Perhaps he was hero to Aegon and or Aemon as well, despite being Mm. younger. This could be part of why Aegon hates the Dornish, Mm. which he definitely does. (laughs) And now there's a strong parallel here as well. The young wolf, preceded long ago by the young dragon, both Won glory in battle while dying still young through treachery.
1: Unlike Rob, uh Daron had never married, and he ruled for only four years. And like King Rob Stark, King Daron had no children. So his brother became King Baylor the First, later known as Baylor the Blessed.
0: Or Baylor the befuddled. Mm-hmm. Opinions vary greatly on this next monarch. Part three Lust enough to kill a king reign of Baylor the first
1: he was a rare spirit pure and brave and innocent untouched by all the evils of the world
0: is what some would say but others would call him
1: the feeblest king who ever sat the iron throne yeah
0: real uh, polarizing figure this, this Baylor. though the incredibly pious Baylor, the blessed reign is also like a lot of these other Targaryen kings a story unto itself like the young dragon like Aegon the third the dragon bane we'll try not to stray too much remember what our focuses are here set up for the first Blackfire Rebellion.
1: Now openly, the Rebellion was about Daemon Blackfyre versus Daeron II Targaryen. It was about several big personalities, a deathbed proclamation, and opposing ideals on what a king should be. Those are the headlines, the attention-grabbing details. But it was also about Dorne, the changes in the royal family, xenophobia, an ancient enemy not just made part of the realm, but elevated above all others into the royal family. The seeds for this were planted during Baylor's reign and began to bear fruit just as he died.
0: So, again, the Iron Throne's relationship with Dorne is crucial to the setting. And Aegon's early years are a part of it all, despite his own impact being minimal at this stage. Take your pick of the reasons. The bottom line is Aegon hated Dorne. We know that for a, for a fact. It's, it's spelled out precisely in the World of Ice and Fire. There doesn't seem to be any room for doubt there. As king... The impact of this hatred would be huge, of course, and, and there's the matter of all those bastards of his who also had their own uh, issues mm-hmm. with Doran or not, uh, the most important of whom will be born during Baylor's reign, and Aegon's first grandson is about to show up, too.
1: Mm-hmm. But first, Baylor inherited a major decision what to do about his brother King Daron's murder. The Dragon Knight is in captivity... Most likely, both Targaryen ancestral Blades are captured. Hand of the King Viserys is calling for the execution of the hostages.
0: Now, this may have further frustrated Aegon's relationship with his father, but it's, this also seems far from certain. Aegon may have been disgusted with the Dornish himself over the murder, or simply bored of Casella on his own. So he gave her up, uh, one way or the other. Now, we talked about how the young dragon was a hero to so many, but to the Dornish, he was probably some sort of evil <laughs> military child prodigy. Uh, while the lands subject to the Iron Throne were busy comparing the I to Aegon the Conqueror, I bet the Dornish had kind of the opposite view. They were probably thinking of him more like Aegon, or rather Magor the Cruel. Uh, all that with his youth and his aggressiveness and warlike nature. I mean, he didn't have the insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe he did, actually, but <laughs> he didn't seem to have, he certainly didn't have Magor's level of insanity. <laughs> and it's easy to forget that Daron's invasion of Dorne broke a peace treaty that Aegon the Conqueror himself signed. This treaty pledged, quote, eternal peace. Mm-hmm. So as stubborn and fiercely independent as the Dornish are, it, it seems likely enough that Darren did a few nasty things during the war to, you know, set examples, to keep them in line. To, you know, you do nasty enough things, it keeps people from... You know, acting out, and the Dornish are stubborn, and that's not going to work. So, it's just kind of this cycle of violence. So, we saw also that Daron didn't exactly seem to have a delicate touch for politics uh, by putting the Tyrell in charge over the Dornish. That's the, one of the best examples possible. like the guy, like Rob Stark, didn't seem to have the greatest hold on politics. Great with the commanding, but yeah. You know. So, the persistent peace between Dorn and the Iron Throne was shattered by this completely unprovoked invasion and subsequent conquest. So, Thousands of lost lives. We're talking uncountable debts of vengeance. We're talking bloody revenge sworn and passed down to future generations. It's, it's Westeros karma. <laughs> so the Dornish would suspect future Targaryens of misrule akin to Daron the First. So picture this: you've got even when Doran was brought into the realm peaceably, you still have people that are remembering the time when the Iron Throne was briefly in charge of them. And what did they do with that? They put a Tyrell in charge. Like all you got to do is imagine some Dornish lords thinking. Do we really want these guys in charge of us? Look how look mm-hmm. how bad they handled it.
1: But it gets more complicated because during the years of one sixty one to one seventy one, while Aegon was maintaining his busy, travel heavy, Playboy Princeling lifestyle, King Baylor was trying his best to repair the relationship with Dorne, making dramatic gestures while also attempting to create a lasting peace through marriage. And this marriage involved our Aegon's own firstborn Daron, who became betrothed to Princess Mariah Martel of Dorne.
0: Mm-hmm. Egon, of course, later would try to undo Baylor's positive results. It's kind of a back and forth. You got Daron ruining the relationship, Baylor trying to fix it, and then later Egon will try to ruin it again. But we still have a few years before some of those things and happen. And
1: then Daron will And
0: then Daron will fix it again, right. The, the next Daron. So <laughs> yeah, it's just And then then Dorne is part of the realm. And then there well, then there's the rebellions, and then mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Uh basically it's never Never peaceful between Doran and the Iron Throne, even when Doran is part of the Iron Throne, as the Song of Ice and Fire tells you. (laughs) But in the meantime, we're not quite there yet. So up to that point, we still have the unworthy spending large amounts of time in of Baylor's reign in Bravos, sleeping with the Black Pearl. Mm. How do you say her name? Do you say Belagere? Otheris? Belagere? Belagere? I don't Belgeri. know how to say her name. Belagere. I, I don't know. It's a cool name, I, I, even though I, I don't I know like, how to say it. I like
1: either it. of them. Maybe someone knows. Maybe we should have tried to see if there's any real-world name similar to it. Yeah. But uh, I say Regare, so I like Belagere a little bit. I don't okay. know. I like that Gere. Gere.
0: It yeah, sounds like Italian sound. somehow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But uh, Aegon was sent there as an envoy, but part of King Balor and or Prince Aemon, Prince Aemon and their father, Prince Viserys, is thinking was to get him away from Nerys.
0: Yeah. There may have been a bit of a pattern, actually, with the timing of Nerys's pregnancies. They seem to coincide with when he doesn't have a mistress. It's, it's, it's almost like Aegon gets... Uh, when he doesn't have a mistress he's like well m- my wife is the fallback plan and mm-hmm. basically all the pregnancies seem to fall right around the time when he didn't have a mistress that's uh, that's a that's a catch by range targaryen there mm-hmm. uh so it looks like he went his, it turned his attention back to nerys after he lost eighth when the hostages were sent back to Dorne by King mm-hmm. Uh Nerys, yeah. however...
1: Yeah, Nares uh, gave birth to some twins in 161, and she was again in danger of death due to the exertions of labor. The twins themselves died.
0: So the idea was, send Aegon off to Bravos, so he can't be you know, trying to sleep with his sister who really can't handle another pregnancy at this point. So it would allow her to recover without interference. Mm -hmm. And Aegon of course, as we said, is very stubborn about claiming his marriage rights. So even when his threatened his sister's life, so.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really smart that they sent him off as, you know, as we've seen and as he's just said, he has a pattern of getting past these minor barriers in the pursuit of women. For example, despite all that time far away, he still managed a few stops in between at Hall to visit his former, more regular mistress, Felina Stokeworth. She was born Stoke Stokeworth, but she was now the First Lady Loston, <laughs> And this, too, would become important later, as Felina, like several of Aegon's mistresses, all mistresses, really, was ambitious.
0: Mm, she was, yes. Felina had a child who had the official name of Jane Loston, and many believed, but many believed, rather, that Aegon was Jane's father. <laughs> uh So she'll appear later in this episode, but first we have to give her a little time to grow up.
1: Be patient with baby (laughs) Jane.
0: The Blackfire Rebellion was never about one particular incident or problem, as the World of Ice and Fire tells us.
1: There was no final insult, no great wrong that led Daemon Blackfyre to turn against King Daron.
0: Of the major causes of the rebellion, well, we've covered the large-scale relationship that drove events, mostly Dorne and the Iron Throne, but the personal relationships are probably of even greater importance, and in a lot of ways they're more interesting. Aegon was said to have nine great loves in his life. Marys, his sister-wife, not one of them. They didn't get along very well, as as we pointed out, and this is well known. Not only did... They not get along. In other words, everybody knew they didn't get along, and of course that seemed ob- that probably seemed obvious to people knowing the differences in their personalities. Mm-hmm. But much later, when King Aegon would make use of the open secret uh, of this open secret to fuel the rumors that he was not Daron's father. In other words, mm-hmm. Aemon and Nerys's time together was part of uh, you know what he used to start those rumors.
1: Mm-hmm. So as you can see, much that would shape matters further down the timeline was happening before Daemon Blackfire was even born, and as to that. Uh, as to Damon Blackfire, a memorable and particularly relevant feature of King Balor's reign was the relationship, or lack thereof, with his sister wife and their other two sisters. He shunned Dana and had her cloistered with Elena and Raina in what came to be known as the Maiden Vault.
0: He never consummated the marriage and actually had it annulled. Jamie Lannister himself shares an opinion here.
1: The realm would have been better served if he had closed his eyes and fucked her. I know enough history to know that. <laughs>
0: In an odd turn of events, Aegon's lust became part of his lucky ascent to the throne. The maiden vault, in quotes, air quotes, Mm. was clearly not Aegon the Unworthy proof. Mm. Another obstacle easily overmatched by his lust.
1: Apparently only female nobility and servants were allowed in the place, but as Judge Oberyn Martell told the accused Tyrion Lannister,
0: Princes are permitted to go where they will, or so I told your guards.
1: Aegon would not have have any trouble getting past the Maiden Vault guards either, I'm thinking. Even if they wore the white cloak. Or it could have been the other way around. Hmm. Dana is said to have escaped the Maiden Vault at least three times. Maybe she found Aegon. Yeah, maybe she looked he him up. He was good looking. <laughs>
0: it's true. She He was. For a time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why Dana was not named as one of the nine loves of his life either. She got <laughs> disgusted with him when he started to... Well, become disgusting. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she liked Daron, the first, mm-hmm. and his atta- martial nature. Eh? Yeah. Kind of the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Regardless, though, the irony here is pretty amazing. The Maiden Vault was supposed to keep these women from causing sinful thoughts by keeping them out of sight and to keep men from having access to them. And instead, it created Damon Blackfire.
1: <laughs> to on the Maiden Vault was no barrier. It's more like... Hey, here is a place where there are a lot of beautiful women who never get male attention or even company. And hey, they can't leave or keep me out. Also, I'm a a charming, handsome Targaryen prince. You
0: sure are. (laughs) (laughs) He had an affair with Dana. uh, And this maiden in the Maiden Vault developed signs of a very unmaidenly pregnancy.
1: Just like that. Daemon Fire was conceived. Well, it wasn't just like that. It yeah, took a little. It probably took a little time. A couple
0: minutes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Daemon gained everlasting fame, but his mother Dana wasn't exactly a nobody. She became known as Dana the Defiant, and she earned her nickname by refusing to tell King Balor or anyone that Aegon was the father. Though it was apparently suspected.
0: Yeah, the truth would come out eventually, but in the immediate, uh, in the immediate short term, nobody knew who the father was, and Balor the Blessed always looking for an opportunity to show godliness through masochism, was inspired to a 41-day fast at the birth of Damon, Damon Waters. before he, This is before he got the name Damon Blackfire. Mm-hmm. And this 41-day fast... No. Killed him shockingly. Yeah. You don't eat for forty one days and you die. Wow. wow. Yeah. How about that? I guess
1: Jamie was right. If Balor had just consummated his marriage, there never would have been a Daemon Blackfire.
0: Aegon, as unworthy as he was, is not so likely to try to sleep with the actual queen. That's what we mean by saying if he had, if if Balor had consummated his marriage, it's a good chance Aegon might have been able to control himself <laughs> and not try to sleep with the actual queen. Because that's not just a scandal, that's treason. It didn't stop him from accusing his honorable brother, the Dragon Knight, of that exact crime later, however, of course.
1: Mm-hmm. We're, of
0: course, referring to him accusing his brother of, of fathering the II rather than Aegon himself. Now, around the same time, probably a few months before Daemon was born, Aegon, who was only about 36 himself at the time, saw the birth of his first grandchild a boy who would one day play a key role in defeating Damon Blackfire's army so obviously he's a big part of the story as well he was known as Baylor uh, confusing yes yeah. and he was named for the his pious great uncle who hadn't quite died yet uh, yeah. and was later known as Baylor Breakspear very uh, yeah. He was a, uh, probably would have been a much better king than Baylor the Blessed or any of these <laughs> guys really, but
1: though nothing like the stir around the stir around Daemon Waters. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> uh, a little pun there, yeah. yeah. Young Baylor's birth would, was controversial too, though it was obvious that the king would have no children. So it was only a matter of time before our Aegon became king, and young Baylor would be in line to inherit the throne himself down the line.
0: The problem was that young Baylor Breakspear didn't look like a Targaryen. He looked Dornish, and that was a problem, especially for people who don't like Dornish people. Now they're like, "Are we really going to be ruled by this guy?" Well, that's sad because Baylor was an amazing person. Yeah. Uh, but most notably, the thing about uh, the thing about Baylor that looked non Targaryen or did look Dornish, was his hair. He didn't have the silver-gold hair of Targaryens. He had just regular dark hair.
1: Yeah, he looked like his mother more than his father. Yeah, by a lot. And this confirmed what many around the realm had feared for a while, and it instilled new fear and perhaps loathing in those who hadn't. There was now a direct line to the Iron Throne for a Dornishman, as Baelor Breakspear was seen by many.
0: Right, he's half Targaryen but he looks Dornish and that's just how people think yeah so that's you know people would think of him as Dornish just because of how he looks even though that's just kind of silly but that's how it works we don't make the rules
1: yeah, so, it's like in it's like in real real world mixed children. Some of them are some of them they look whiter, some of them look blacker, and they they're seen very differently because of true. that.
0: That's very true, and it just yeah, really it really it's amazing how much uh, in the real world just how you look can impact your 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 life and your future. And wow. certainly George has captured that well that uh, that aspect of reality very well here in this part of the story, and it's gonna be. A rub going forward you'll see how important this is the, the whole dornish influenced court is so many people just really hated that in the meantime however though fasting seems to be the blame for balor the west's death i mean 41 days without eating seems like that would kill you uh one day without eating for me. <laughs> and <laughs> there are whispers that he was poisoned despite the kind of straightforward-sounding manner of his death. The World of Ice and Fire mentions a specific source among several, as well as multiple possible motives for this murder.
1: Malicious rumors that followed in the wake of Viserys's ascension, begun some say by the pen of Lady Maya of House Stokeworth Suggested that Viserys poisoned the king in order to finally gain the throne after a decade and more of waiting.
0: Now, the name House Stokeworth in this context really jumps out because it Viserys, who was probably hand at this point, or at the point I'm about to describe, was the one who created House Lawson from the from his Master at Arms and Felina Stokeworth. Stokeworth, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Aegon's first mistress. So recall as well that Aegon continued to visit Felina even after he became married and moved on to other mistresses. So they, they were on good terms still, probably because Aegon was still very lustful and Felina was still very ambitious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thinking conspiratorial, or conspiratorially, if, is that a real word? <laughs> <laughs> the rumors about King Viserys and poison it seems may have been spread as part of a plot of some kind, and you can see where it all came from because of the Stokeworth-Aegon connection, and we talked about how Aegon didn't like his father. You
1: can see it in this quote. Others have suggested that Viserys poisoned Baylor for the good of the realm, since the Septon King had come to believe that the Seven called on him to convert all the unbeliever, unbelievers in his realm. This would have led to a war with the North and the Iron Islands that would have caused great turmoil.
0: So, is this extra motivation an invention to further incriminate Viserys or was it a legitimate possibility? I mean, a war like that, if, if Baylor really had declared the, that the North and the Iron Islands had to take the seven. Woo. He might've
1: been, might been the worst King then. Then, yeah, that's true.
0: That may have nominated him. So if, if so that with that in mind, it actually does make sense that someone could, you know, decide to kill him just to avoid that kind of debacle. But we of course can't know for sure. Now, Eventually Aegon himself would be accused of poisoning his father Viserys to get the throne. So we have Viserys being named as a possible poisoner of Baylor, and then Aegon possibly poisoning Viserys. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there might be another way to look at it. it, it with the rumors about Viserys poisoning Baylor have some merit. Viserys was his hand for 10 years. I don't, I don't know if that fits. But Aegon himself wants to get to the throne, which we know he did you know maybe he just decided to kill his way to the throne murder his own father murder baylor what better and what better way to hide his own complicity in baylor's murder than by casting the blame on his father
1: and if if this is the case it really worked viserys is not remembered fondly despite being such an effective hand this poisoning rumor seems to be a big part of why
0: yeah we have another conversation between tyrion and oberin that gives us shed some light on it the prince laughed viserys hardly reigned a fortnight
1: he reigned more than a year, said Tyrion.
0: Oberyn gave a shrug. A year or a fortnight, what does it matter? He poisoned his own nephew to gain the throne and then did nothing once he had it.
1: So it seems that Tyrion's is the scholar's opinion, while Oberyn's is the popular one. Viserys was permanently scandalized, whatever the truth may be.
0: Yeah. After all after all that, you may some of you may have a burning question in your mind. Wait a sec, guys. How could Baelor have been poisoned if he was fasting? How do you poison... Food that isn't mm-hmm. being eaten <laughs> mm-hmm. well technically balor was eating a little bit of bread apparently and he was definitely drinking water and hey guys we're aware and you're aware that there are poisons in the world of a song of ice and fire that have no flavor so mm-hmm. yes. it's definitely possible
1: murdered or not balor the blessed was a controversial figure though balor could not have heirs having taken Septon's vows he was young 27 when he died he was younger than Aegon. Don't forget.
0: Yeah, Aegon probably didn't like what ba- that Baylor had married his only legitimate son to the Dornish, whom again he hated, uh, and that may have been done without his knowledge as well. Uh, when Baylor did his long walk through the desert to Sunspear, when he got to Sunspear, he arranged, he negotiated the marriage of Mariah Martell to Aegon's son Daron. Aegon may have been off in Bravos or back at King's Landing. He certainly wasn't taking the walk with Baylor, so yet another thing for him to either have a you know another grievance for him against either his uncle or his his uncle, his cousin or his father. It all, it all fits together pretty nicely. Now, on the other hand, it's no question that the future king, Daron II, approved of his Dornish wife, Mariah Martell, and together they, at least, supported Baylor's peaceful policies towards Dorne. Openly, it was said that Baylor arranged the marriage, though possibly his more capable uncle handed the king, Viserys, was responsible. And if that's the case, then again, Another reason for Aegon to be mad at his father.
1: Regardless, Daron would continue Baylor's policies of bringing Dorne into the realm via peaceful means, and we can safely assume that Mariah, a princess of Sunspear, preferred the same to war. You can tell what side I'm on in the matter, <laughs> Dorne all the way. I,
0: of course, am wearing a uh,
1: Greyjoy Greyjoy
0: shirt, which really isn't relevant at Not all. Not relevant. And my no. Greyjoy mug. I'm just all Greyjoy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it's relevant, you would not have liked Baylor if Baylor if had tried to, to convert you that's guys. true I
0: am, i'm I'm <laughs> drowned God forever <laughs>
1: but at this time, however, Daron and Mariah didn't really have a lot of clout themselves they lacked lands and armies, you know etc they knew they might get their chance to continue Baylor's work someday however because
0: they yeah, they hoped, and they had a good reason to think so because even though Baylor was now dead, that means that our Aegon is now heir to the throne, meaning that Daron and his wife were only one step behind. Mm-hmm. Part four. One step from the crown, the reign of Viserys II.
1: Baelor starved himself to death fasting, said Tyrion. His uncle served him loyally his hand as he had served the young dragon before him. Viserys might only have reigned a year, but he ruled for 15 while Daeron warred and Baelor prayed.
0: That's right. That's why Viserys gets such a... It's so unfair for Viserys to get such a bad rap. He, he was... He, was he, he kept the <laughs> realm of... Together during the craziness of Daron's uh, assault on Dorne mm-hmm. and Balor's just general craziness, but everyone just remembers him for supposedly poisoning the crazy Septon King. So Aegon bore witness to the ascent of his own father, Viserys, hand for the previous three kings, and now King Viserys II. Consider all that—all those things that, that Viserys had to work, uh, all that things he had to you know cover for, and all those craziness he had to make up for. Uh, the lack of political skills with Daron the first and, and, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, really stands out.
1: And then he had to deal with the well-meaning but. But clearly, reality challenged Baylor the first, who didn't understand basic human needs like, say, food, <laughs> and who told the Citadel to replace all the messenger ravens with doves. <laughs> he was pretty great for keeping the peace, but he also did completely nutso things like that.
0: And maybe not so great for keeping yeah. the peace if he was about to, you know, yeah, cause true. a big religious war. But again, we don't know if that was actually yeah. true. The old saying, "The king eats; the hand takes the shit." Indeed, Viserys was on the privy quite often and for a long time. Now. He had the chance to rule instead of, you know, being the guy who had to sit on the toilet. Yeah. It is said that he had the potential to be another the conciliator, which is an interesting thing to say about a guy that so many people remembered yeah. so badly. Ah, if only, though, (laughs) in another year or so, Viserys II would be dead of what was called a sudden illness, so we will never know what kind of king he really would have been.
1: Much later, it was whispered that the son may have had something to do with the death of the father, and it seems not unlikely. Since Aegon was said to desire the crown as a boy, he seems to have had motive, and because his father forcefully ended so many of his affairs... Perhaps he had sufficient resentment, too.
0: Yeah, uh, again, we'll recap some of the the reasons that Aegon had to be upset. Again, Viserys sent away his mistress, Mary Meg, married off Lady Felina, sent his daughters with Mary Meg to the Faith. Uh, there may have been admonitions. We got to figure that Egon, being the kind of guy he was, and Viserys being this hardworking, kind of keep everything together, sh- you know, straight edge kind of guy. I got to feel, I got to think that he probably had some words for his his son, being like, "Hey, straighten up and fly right, you know. Mm-hmm. Stop being such a you know sleeping around, drinking, corrupt guy." Uh, I'm sure he was had some words for him. From was time was like to the time. whores
1: are extinct.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, d- basically, he may have even shamed him. He may have. Viserys may have done things to, you know, embarrass him and to try you know, have tried different mm-hmm. things, you know, like Tywin Lannister's uh he requires a sharp lesson. You know, <laughs> it may have been Viserys may have done some things like that for Aegon. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Now, it may have been again, it may have been Baylor uh, but Aegon's father probably had a lot to do with the marriage of Daron to Princess Mariah. So, again, this is a long list of things for Aegon to be upset about, plus several between the lines that we probably aren't aware of, because it's not like these characters' lives are fully detailed year to year. There's a lot in between the lines and a lot we just don't know. But we can make a lot of really educated guesses because we know so much about their personalities and and things like
1: that. Yeah, Aegon... Pretty much definitely would have hated the fact that he had... If his father had something to do with marrying his son to the Dornish, he would have hated it. I mean, Aegon probably fought in the Young Dragon's War, and he may have hated the Dornish for their violation of the peace banner and slaying of the outstanding young dragon. And though he showed very little regard for his brother, Aemon, in public, he may have also held a grudge against Dorne, or at least Housewile, for leaving him in that cage over a pit of vipers. I mean, he wouldn't be the first brother to show contempt and protectiveness at the same time. Yeah, he's
0: my brother. Only I get to beat him up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: plus, as crown prince, Aegon may have had more restrictions placed upon him. It just would make sense. Of course they're going to put more restrictions on him. He's the heir to the throne. Yeah. He would have had more expectations from his father. And a man so easily controlled by his lusts would have a lot of motivation to get rid of anything that that inhibited his ability to sate them. Anything between him and his lust. just Get Get it out of of the way. Yeah, Yeah.
0: his father would, would probably, if not almost definitely, the main obstacle there. So the motivation for him murdering his father... Is there. <laughs> we've we've shown a lot. that He had motivation for murdering Baylor, and he certainly has motivation for murdering Viserys as well. And he certainly had the ambition for it. So but there were even other things again for him to be upset about. Again, there's the 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 issue with the black pearl, his relationship with the black pearl, which ended right around this time, around 170-171. Uh, so holding to our pattern of when he loses a mistress, he tends turns his attention back to his mm-hmm. his wife, his sister wife. Well, keeps going here. Nerys became pregnant at some point around this time. He had, again, he had been sent away to keep him away from her. And he may have been thinking at this point, oh, I got her pregnant again. Uh-huh. Are they going to send me away again after she gives birth? Uh-huh. Better do something about that.
1: Uh-huh. But most of all, there is just his lust for the crown, which is mentioned straightforwardly in the role of Ice and Fire. The motive absolutely exists, 100%. Yeah. But on the other hand, since Viserys II had all the makings of a strong and capable king and Aegon had all the makings of a man easy to manipulate or at least a less restrictive and authoritative king, Mm. a third party could easily have motivation as well, motive to get the strong king out of the way so as to manipulate the corruptible one.
0: History is full of, real world history is full of such examples. Song of Ice and Fire history also has some examples like that. It's a common thing for some people. Most people prefer to have the strong king ruling because that's great for everybody. But those, there's always those few really dangerous, ambitious people working behind the scenes who would rather blow up the world to benefit themselves. They don't care about the consequences. And
1: Possibly a little like Arvaris. Yes,
0: very, that's a very good comparison. So one can easily see why Viserys would be a target with Aegon waiting in the wings. If not from Aegon himself, there are a lot of other people that would say, Man, if we had that crappy you know overeating corrupt king all you need to give all you need to get what you want out of that guy is to give him a pretty woman Mm -hmm. a lot of people would want to take advantage of that instead of this capable effective authoritative ruler who is not gonna who's a no-nonsense kind of guy you could easily see why that guy would want to be taken out so that people could you know work their you know sink their claws into this puppet king of sorts Mm -hmm. but on the other hand Viserys was said to die of illness and it could have just in that it really could have happened he was just over 50 so it's not like yeah. he was a young man yeah.
1: perhaps yeah. that that's what most of the characters in a song of ice and fire think happened to john aaron mm-hmm. we readers know better but most in the story don't even question it yeah
0: all, like, like it's only like a few characters that know yeah. that he was poisoned almost everyone thinks oh he just died of a sudden illness yeah. <sighs> the Viserys died of a sudden illness too of a stomach cramp mm-hmm. same thing <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so it's very possible now with Viserys's death we move on to part five the father of turmoil, the reign of Aegon IV himself. Quote, for, his, for, the, for the small folk, his reign might have been a source of gossip and amusement. To the lords of the realm who did not stay at court and who did not wish to have Aegon make free with their daughters, he might have seemed strong and decisive, frivolous, but largely harmless. But to those who dared enter his circle... He was too mercurial, too greedy, and too cruel to be anything but dangerous.
1: And this perception would linger beyond his reign. If Westeros knew the awful truth of King Aegon IV, they might be a little less likely to to side with the Black Dragon. One of the main arguments goes something like this quote. Daemon was the better man The old king saw it too He gave the sword to Daemon Blackfyre The sword of Aegon the Conqueror The blade that every Targaryen king had wielded since the conquest And so the obvious counter-argument to that is It's really hard to call Blackfyre's bestowal significant When Aegon's decision-making was so questionable (laughs) It's like saying, oh yeah? Well, the worst Targaryen king of all agrees with me So (laughs) there
0: That's not a very good argument, is it? Mm (laughs) In any case Aegon ascended the Iron Throne in 172 becoming King Aegon IV and donning the crown he had coveted for some time. Four kings died during his life and it's responsible that he or it's possible rather that he was responsible for two Of those deaths, perhaps two, one, or zero. Anywhere between there. He wasted no time in earning his nickname, The Unworthy. I mean, he really put in a lot of that effort before he became king.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In the same year of his ascension, he continued his role as the true father of the Blackfyre Rebellion's by adding two more players to the supporting cast. First, he added the true-born Daenerys, the same Daenerys who would marry the Prince of Dorne and one day allow children of all social classes to play together in her water gardens. Now, this is the same Daenerys who would supposedly win Damon Blackfyre's heart and be named amongst the reasons for his rebellion. Also born very near the same time was Aegor Rivers, a.k.a. Bittersteel, who would be the Iron Throne's greatest enemy for most of his life. No big deal. (laughs) And it's also interesting about these two is that they're really near opposites in their symbolism. One, Daenerys is so crucial in forming a bond of peace after war across many generations still to this day. Mm. And the other, crucial in creating war across many generations to this day.
0: Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I, I didn't, it's one of those little details that I don't think is very well known, but when you really get into the material and really dig at it, and like, I, like we've said many times, you re, we're, you're always rewarded for digging deep into a song of ice and fire. There's so many good things to unearth. Um, and many more of those things will be coming in the future episodes of this series on the Blackfire Rebellion. So we're very excited for that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the mother of Agor Rivers was another Maiden Vault girl named Barbara Bracken. All the girls in the Maiden Vault were set free when Baylor died. Keep that in mind. Uh, Aegon named her father, Lord Bracken, as his Hand of the King. This would not be the only time Aegon named a hand as a result of his mistress. And there's a pattern you'll see mm-hmm. developing. Hand, mistress, hand, mistress, hand, mm-hmm. mistress. It's, very, it's like the same family. It's like throughout his reign. And, and we're going to also see that people figured out that pattern themselves. Mm-hmm. This hand, like most hands in general, and many of Aegon's mistresses proved and, to be very ambitious.
1: Yeah, meanwhile during this time when he's, you know, with Barba, Daenerys' birth nearly killed Queen Neres as most of, you know, all of her pregnancies really. Yeah, another and, pattern. <laughs> yeah, another pattern. And so while she lay dying, the ambitious hand, Lord Bracken, began to openly suggest that Barba become her replacement, the new queen of Westeros. What oh, uppity. Yeah.
0: That's, a Bracken that, queen. A Bracken queen. Oh. Well, there would be Blackwood queens, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: a black, I'm on the Blackwood side. Okay,
0: so that's okay then. right. right. <laughs> This seemed to make the Brackens very unpopular. Oh, shocking, right? Oh. Talking while the queen is still alive, talking about making your mm-hmm. daughter the new queen. Yeah. Really? That made you unpopular? Sh- right. Shocking. Uh, so, it actually had, so it actually had the opposite effect yeah. intended.
1: Yeah, because Neres recovered, and the Brackens <laughs> grasping at the throne came back to haunt them.
0: Quote, the king was never fond of Queen Neres, but their brother the Dragon Knight and Prince Darren himself were outraged. And forced Aegon's hand in the matter after the Queen recovered.
1: So, Barba and Agor were sent back to Stonehenge away from court. And, adding insult to injury, Barba's replacement as Aegon's mistress was Melissa, aka Missy Blackwood. And we all know how Brackens feel about Blackwood.
0: Yeah, a lot more on that situation when we get to the Bittersteel focused episode. I'm, I'm very excited about that one. The next, the, the king's next mistress, however, was said to be his favorite. And as much as Barbara Bracken was rejected by, the people at court, Melissa Blackwood was befriended. The th- even though he was, she was a mistress, the three who pushed away Barba, Prince Daron, Prince Amon, and Queen Nerys... We're all said to actually love Missy, despite you know. It,
1: I can't help but wonder if, like at first, it started as out of like a little bit of spite <laughs> for Barbara, and they're yeah. like, "We really do like her," you know, or if, like <laughs> that's why they were more amenable to her in the yeah, first place.
0: It could be they may have just gotten used to the fact, like, well, he's gonna have yeah. a mistress. Might <laughs> if this is the best, you know, at least this is this is the best it could, we can mm-hmm. we can hope for.
1: <laughs> so Missy had a daughter named Mia, and then another named Gwyneth. Two bastards named Mia we know of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mia and Mia. Yeah. Since Agor I mean, was sent, yeah, I guess she, I guess she was Waters. Um, since Agor was sent away young, Aegon's children with Meg sent to be Septas, and his children with the Black Pearl apparently not even in Westeros. These daughters would be the first of Aegon's bastards to be raised at court.
0: Oh, she'd be Mia Rivers, of course. Uh, Brendan Rivers. Oh, uh, huh, huh. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Anyway. She, oh, yeah. You <laughs> she
1: would be Mia Rivers? It's, it's interesting. <clears throat> I guess. Yeah, it depends on. Yeah, interesting.
0: I guess it's just because she's there. Her home is Blackwood, and you know maybe
1: depends on where they spent them. Was spent a great deal of time. Yeah, I guess she, I
0: arguably she could be a Waters, but think, she yeah, was a River. Could
1: Brendan Wa- River sounds good. Yeah, but it does. Brendan Waters, eh. <laughs> anyways. Um, but technically, Damon Blackfire was also raised at court, but his paternity was still concealed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these bastards at court. Does beg the question of what Aemon and Nerys would have thought about them at court. But since Missy was so well loved, this may not have been a problem.
0: Yeah, them. it was. It was the first time, even though Aegon had all these bastards. These would have been the first ones that were raised at court. So it's kind of a, kind of breaking new ground. But well. like she said, Melissa being so popular and, and well liked, it seems likely enough that her children would be given the same regard, despite their who they are like it's hard in a vacuum you would think oh these are royal bastards of course they're hated like you, th- you think of mm-hmm. Jon Snow and Catelyn things like that even nice people like Catelyn have mm-hmm. you know they they have their their personal feelings that they can't help but so Missy must have been a really really you know one of those people that just unite you know a real uniter like a real uh, real great person I guess just, just, just a friendly a charismatic yeah, yeah. So great that we can we can see these these the personalities of these characters really coming out based on these details. Uh, it was around this uh, this time as well that Aegon entertained the idea of invading Dorne. Uh, it was it may have been personal. Uh, it's directly stated in the World of Ice and Fire that he hated Dorne. We've gone over that plenty of times in this episode. Uh, there are some less obvious signs for this though. He was a reasonably smart guy despite how awful he was. His wit is a good example of how we know. He at least had some brain power. You don't see a lot of witty people who are (laughs) dumb. That's just not... Those things don't go together. So he... And, of course, people talk about how much potential he had. So, clearly, he had some. Um, However, this attempt to invade Dorne was just blatantly destined to fail, which is why it kind of seems personal. It seems like no intelligent person could have possibly thought this would work. So, (laughs) maybe he was just worked up about it. I mean, a reasonably smart person, heck, Hodor, knows that you can't do what he tried to do, which was haul. Siege engines filled with wildfire through a deserty mountain pass <laughs> into Dorn. That's exactly what he tried in to do. In the extreme heat. Yeah, and the extreme heat, like crazy, like that's. Yeah, ex-
1: yeah but you know, the, with the way the Dornish murdered his cousin, poisoned and tortured his brother, and poisoned another cousin, well, he had a few reasons. Yeah, he, he
0: had some reasons to be emotionally perturbed with the Dornish. <laughs> uh, but it was also really awkward. I mean, his son. An heir was married to a Dornish princess. And here he is invading Mm. their homeland. And his grandson, who had been, you know, born by then, we said. And he may have had another by then. He ended up with a bunch of grandsons. Darren had four sons. Uh, The dates are a little unclear on when all they were born. But throughout the 170s, basically. So he had at least one, probably two by then. And maybe even three Dornish grandsons (laughs) and a Dornish stepdaughter. <laughs> so, but somebody said ah, we're going to invade them anyway.
1: Oh yeah. So, of course, Daron argued against his father's plans to invade his own kin's homeland. Like of course.
0: Yeah. Surely of course he,
1: he suggested peace and marriage like Baylor had and like he himself based his policy towards Doranon when he himself sat the Iron Throne. Aegon's response to his son's objections were to intrigue against his own son's legitimacy. He enlisted Sir Morgill Hastwick, which is quite an evil name, yeah, right? <laughs> who openly charged Queen Marys with infidelity at court. This way, Aegon himself was not involved in making the accusations, but he simultaneously began threatening to disown Daron in favor of one of his bastards. The Dragon Knight disputed the claims of infidelity, and he faced Ser Morgil in a trial by combat mentioned in Chapter 15 of A Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, that early. Once again, these stories were part of, really part of the early narrative. It's, it's really interesting how George clearly had all this thought out well before he wrote The World of Ice and Fire, at least most of the main details. So here's this quote. She gazed at Joffrey worshipfully. Must be Sansa, right? You know right away, <laughs> based on that line. Just the first line. <laughs> totally
1: an Arya <Arielle> line. <laughs> he she was loves- so
0: gallant, she thought. The way he had rescued her from Sir Illyn and the Hound, why, it was almost like the songs. Like the time Serwyn of the Mirror Shield saved the Princess Darissa from the giants. Or Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight championing Queen Nereus' honor against evil Sir Morgyle's slanders.
1: Mm-hmm. Aemon would again try to cast out on Daron's fraternity. But he wouldn't do it again while Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight lived.
0: Yeah, obviously Sir Morgil lost that duel and was killed. And after that, considering Aemon was considered like the best fighter of his era, who would dare face him in another trial by combat? Uh, even even the king wouldn't be able to convince somebody to to go there. So, regardless, though, the invasion of Dorne proceeded, and as we said. Didn't go very well. Aegon built a fleet and those crazy siege engines that spewed wildfire, thanks to the pyromancers, and all of those were destroyed without ever inflicting any harm on the Dornish. <laughs> well, several soldier, he lost several of his own men. Some soldiers died, some you know non-Dornish died, but the Dornish themselves probably just sat home at home and mm-hmm. laughing. Uh, so the awkwardness of uh, the him attacking his own family became just regular, awkward humiliation type thing for Aegon. So, it was a debacle of an invasion and it cost many lives and made no progress. At least served to end his ambitions for Dorne for good, which, Mm -hmm. as we said, he didn't seem like his, amb- his ambitions, apart from the throne, seemed to be, you know, drinking, women, yeah. eating. So, it didn't seem like he had much to do after that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, he went back to having affairs and making bastards. Stick to what you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, in 175, Missy gave birth to an albino boy with red eyes and a wine-stained birthmark called Brynden Rivers. And in time, he became known as Bloodraven.
0: You might call his future robust.
1: Not unimpacted.
0: <laughs> yeah. And in 176, there was an example of one of the most capricious and arbitrary uh, things that Aegon did. Which, apparently, he did things like this all the time, but (laughs) this is one of the best examples we have. And this is the treatment of Lord Plum. Here's where we remember that a king does what he likes.
1: So, Aegon marries Lord Plum to one of the other Maiden Vault girls. Elena Targaryen, sister of the young dragon, and Dana the Defiant. And now... Lord Osifer Plum died on his wedding day. Supposedly, he died when he saw Elena naked, but that may be a tale. Regardless, Aegon seized the Plum fortune rather than allowing it to pass to the new Lord Plum. He likely impregnated Elena himself as well, and she claimed the child was Osifer's, so that she could rule the Plum lands through her new son. <laughs> Brown Ben Plum himself is related to this branch. There's a big problem with that story. What's that? If he drops dead when he sees her naked, how is he impregnated?
0: That's that's why yeah, that's where has... the the whole uh that's, you guys may remember yeah. the story of the uh Ben Brown Ben Plum tells a story of how his his uh, ancestor had a six-foot-long penis. Well, that's the reference. Six. Remember, six feet under is what people say when you're dead. So in order to impregnate her, he would have to have a six-foot-long penis that could come up from the earth, etc. That's the joke. Jokes aren't better when you explain them, but that one's a little obscure. <laughs> so, But Aegon didn't just take it the way he also giveth, arbitrarily, of course, because that's, that's the way he ran things. So he would also make extravagant gifts. Throughout his reign, there are some very key examples. Of course, giving Blackfire to Daemon was the biggest example. But the prelude to that was the next most famous gift he gave away, which was to Lord Butterwell, who was possibly his hand at the time. We think Lord Butterwell was hand after Lord Bracken. It's not entirely clear. Regardless, at some point, Lord Butterwell was hand, and Aegon gave him a dragon's egg. Mm Mm-hmm. As with all his hands, there was a woman involved. <laughs> Three this time. All the daughters of Lord Butterwell.
1: Yeah, a king can do what he likes indeed.
0: Now, there's this consistent theme that we alluded to earlier. This this theme of ambitious types. Out to gain power through on the Unworthy's weaknesses and lack of interest in matters of state in general. In 177, Bethany Bracken, we're back to the Brackens, mm-hmm. at last supplanted Melissa Blackwood as the king's mistress. So we went Bracken mistress blackwood mistress and back to bracken mistress but it gets even more dramatic and soap opera almost <laughs> this is Barbara's younger sister <laughs> she had been trained for this basically they like molded her to be Aegon's next mistress that's kind of and then think about how weird that is it's mm-hmm. like She knew what, like, Barba had been his miss. She's, like, training her younger sister. Yeah, Yeah. it's weird. She probably taught her a few tricks or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: having an older sister actively trying to teach you how to treat her former lover sounds really surreal. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) Aegon brought Bethany back to court, and we don't exactly know what happened to Missy. There is a statue of her at Raven Tree Hall, so she didn't end in disgrace. Yeah. Um, A scenario that makes a lot of sense is Missy's death. Or at least that Aegon sent her away before finding Bethany at Stonehead. But Bracken may have simply turned the tables on Brackwood. On Blackwood. Brackwood. Br- Brackwood.
0: Their- <laughs> Blacken and Brackwood. <laughs> 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 However, by then, the old game of manipulating Aegon Fourth through mistresses had changed from Barbara's day. They, they were thinking of the things Barbara was able to manipulate her and, and how she was willing to put up with whatever, I suppose. But that was five years ago. And in that five years, well, Egon became rather gross. He was significantly overweight. And Bethany was having a hard time, you know, suffering his embraces and handling his disgustingness. She couldn't necessarily keep pretending yeah. that she actually liked it. <laughs> That's the one thing they couldn't train her on, I suppose. But you, regardless... You don't want to do what she did. You don't want to make up for the king's ugliness by, you know, turning to handsomeness. And if you're going to, you really don't want to do it this way. She started an affair with one of the king's guard, a mm-hmm. dashing, handsome man named Sir Terence Toyne. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this
1: one is especially evocative to me of King Henry VIII. I mean, obviously, yes. and IV is like a huge parallel. But this case in particular is like, right, like exactly like Catherine Howard. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, like exactly, although we don't know the truth. Yeah, exactly.
0: the Catherine Howard thing may not have actually happened. Yes. This one almost... This this one, this
1: one, yeah. Um, so in 178, not only were they caught, but they were caught by the king himself. He, now, he isn't remembered for going easy on Which, them.
0: by the way, is perhaps the one piece of evidence that might mean that he made it all up like no. he's the one who caught them if it was somebody else that's it might be true. more credible he might that's true i'm not sure what reason he would have had to to, to cause this scandal he but.
1: didn't want any handsome knights on his king guard he's yeah. trying to get them all out I yeah, don't it's, know. A, it's
0: a little weird that he would yeah. start a scandal on his own like embarrassing yeah. himself like
1: that, i think he, i think he i think it probably he it probably caught them yeah. but <laughs> yes um so bethany was executed her father was executed and um Barba and Agor seem to have just been at Stonehenge, and they felt none of the king's wrath. But surely they felt the loss of these two family members, one of them her father.
0: Another thing for bitter shell to be bitter about. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Sir Terence Toyne was tortured to death, and this had a domino effect.
0: Because, perhaps because of the torture, or just the execution in general, Sir Terence's brothers were bent on revenge they were not happy about this uh they it was a blood debt for them at some point later in Aegon's reign probably sooner rather than later though we don't know the dating on this they took their shot at assassinating the king uh, we guess it happened within about a year of Sir Terence's treason kind of a ballpark guess there we'd also guess that they couldn't find an opportunity to attempt the assassination without the dragon knight around you'd think that That's the one guy you want to see. Well, when is Aemon going to not be there? Let's wait for... When the Dragon Knight's not there, let's go for it. That's the Mm -hmm. time to do it. But they didn't. They attacked while the Dragon Knight was around.
1: Mm -hmm. Aemon
0: managed to save Aegon, the unworthy, but he died doing so.
1: And that's a statement that really says it all about him. The Dragon Knight was a hero for the ages, and he fell as bravely as could be expected. Although he died as Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, saving the king, and as a brother saving a brother... This was not a man who deserved to be saved. Westeros would have been better with Prince Aemon still alive and King Aegon the Unworthy Dead.
0: But no. Yeah. That wouldn't, it wouldn't be as dramatic of a story if that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as Aegon continued to get more obese and corrupt... His next mistress fit the theme of escalating depravity better than any mm. other example.
1: So, recall a little baby Jane that we mentioned earlier in the episode? Well, she's grown up now. You've been patient.
0: <laughs> <laughs> 14 <Yeah>. years later. <laughs> yes, young
1: lady Jane Lostin was brought to court uh, also in about 178, probably right after the Bethany Bracken scandal. Jane was only 14, as Aziz said, and she was said to be the daughter of Lord Lucas Lostin and Lady Felina the king's first mistress when she was 14 but as we said earlier she could have easily been Aegon's own daughter
0: so gross so not only did he take her as mistress he supposedly had her and her mother at the same time she got mother <laughs> and daughter in the same bed and he's probably father of the daughter with that mother like you said you, no. you, you, we said that this would be like the pinnacle of depravity well there you go I don't I try to beat that <laughs> uh-huh. so as he was wont to do he made his mistress's father, his hand, again. The same man who was master at arms for Viserys and possibly the man who trained him at arms when he was young. So he did have a connection to him besides this uh, back and forth mistress relationship that he had for several years, for over mm-hmm. the course of so long. But soon enough, he gave Jane a pox mm-hmm. and sent her Lady Felina and Lord Lawson all back to Hall, stripping him of his position as Hand of the King.
1: Mm. And in a pattern that just had to repeat itself one last time, John Hightower became the next hand, bringing with him the woman who had become the most beautiful of Aegon's mistresses, Serenae of least I guess he decided not to throw his daughter under the bus. <laughs> yeah, or maybe just didn't have one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't have a
0: hot daughter. I let me go, go find. Let me, let me, let me go oh, find me somebody. Send a letter
1: to Elise. Send me <laughs> the most beautiful woman you have. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, and of course, Princess Nerys, with the Dragon Knight now dead, didn't have uh, didn't have her, uh, any companions anymore.
1: Yeah, and not only did. Aegon do little to honor his sister and brother who died for him, he began to revive the old rumors that Daron was Prince Aemon's son, that Aemon and Nereus' closeness was not the normal brotherly-sisterly affection, but the Targaryen kind. <laughs> Efforts to discredit Daron's parentage were serious. Still, who would... King Aegon's name is heir. He had no other sons, and his daughter Daenerys was only eight years old.
0: Well, by 180, it must have been apparent that young ten-year-old squire Damon was special. We'd guess he became a squire around this time, which is a little young, but he was still unacknowledged. He was still Damon Waters at this point. Now, as the king's hard living started to catch up to him, his weight became such a problem that he was barely able to walk. We'll guess that Shiera Seastar was born sometime around 181, uh, possibly as early as 179, maybe as late as 183 or four, but 181 seems to fit the best. Uh, she'd be the final of the four great bastards. Uh, so sadly, though, Serenai did not survive the birth of Shiera. Now, in 182, Egon, despite having uh, gained enough weight that he had his own gravitational pull by then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he managed to attend a squire's tournament somehow. And it probably seemed like it would be a pretty normal day, just the Squires <laughs> tournament, you know, let's yeah. just go out and watch the Squires jousting, yeah. you know.
1: Did Aegon have it planned? Did he despise Daron enough that he was willing to start making real steps towards disowning him? You just don't know. Damon, 12 at this time, won the tourney and got a far larger prize than anyone could have ever, ever expected.
0: How about, first of all, being knighted, the youngest ever in the time of the Targaryens?
1: Sounds good. Let's throw in the news that you're the king's son. His eldest male bastard, in fact.
0: Oh, not done? No, not done. We'll, we'll not only name you the king's bastard and give you a knighthood, but we'll also give you Blackfire, The ancient Targaryen sword of kings, made of Valyrian steel, wielded by Aegon the Conqueror himself and his father before him, forged in the fires of the Freehold. Now... There was probably a time when Blackfire was a little less important as a symbol, but without the dragons around, it was a major symbol. It became a major symbol, and it was going to become more important as the people who supported Damon Blackfire, you know, kind of pushed... Uh, kind of raised its status as a symbol propaganda propaganda (laughs) so this was a really so this was a truly shocking gift the realm was like wow yeah
1: what was Aegon thinking was it a careless gesture like the dragon's egg, egg gifting or was he intentionally setting up major conflict
0: it's very hard to say but he did arrange for Daemon to be married and to a powerful family at that they're not a Westerosi one Daemon was betrothed to Rohan Daughter of the Archon of Tyrosh. The actual marriage came after Aegon's death, however. Mm -hmm. Now, Aegon's final two years were like a bit of a lame duck or lame dragon or fat, sick, and nearly dead dragon period. He slowly became this.
1: His body so swollen and obese that he could no longer lift himself from his couch, his limbs rotting and crawling with fleshworms. The maesters claimed they had never seen its like, while Septons declared it a judgment of the gods. Aegon was given milk of the poppy to dull his pain, but elsewise little could be done for him.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that would be part of why he got so little done, not just because he was so sick, but all, he was constantly medicated with milk of the poppy. Like, <laughs> not gonna, oh. Mostly just sleeping. <laughs> but awful king as he was, even though he wasn't capable of much in the state, he still managed to do...
1: Yeah. His last act before his death, all accounts agree, was to set out his will, and in it he left the bitterest poison the realm ever knew. He legitimized all of his natural children, from the most base-born to the great bastards, the sons and daughters born to him by women of noble birth. Scores of his natural children had never been acknowledged. Scores. (laughs) Yes. Aegon's dying declaration meant naught to them. For his acknowledged bastards, however, it meant a great deal. And for the realm... It meant blood and fire for five generations.
0: It's like the biggest jerk move of all time, mm-hmm. basically. He, he just had to stick it to Westeros, set up the wars that he avoided during his own lifetime. What, what, what could the Grand Maester have thought to himself when he heard this decree? All of them, Your Grace? Your son could be um, greatly endangered by this. Perhaps we should just send mm-hmm. each of your bastards a ham. <laughs> just don't offer bitter steel any horse meat. <laughs> uh, so, but why didn't he actually ever disown Daron in favor of Damon? Well, he didn't want to fight a war against his own son. The guy wasn't good at fighting wars. We saw that. Even he may have realized that. Um, but he also would have known, because he's not an idiot, that his son would have been well-supported. All of, you know, Most of Dorne would have supported Daron, and yeah. a lot of the other houses would have simply supported Daron because the IV was so terrible, uh, and so he just talked a lot. He didn't yeah. actually take these actions.
1: But- Possibly he was planning on more war eventually, but just died too soon. The marriage alliance with Tyrosh does <laughs> have implications. Quote,
0: Aegon saw more profit in a tie to Tyrosh, perhaps because its fleet would be of use if he made another attempt to conquer Dorne.
1: But Orp, he might have been planning on setting aside Daron, but knew he needed more support and for Daemon to be grown up. If he had lived another five years, he could have declared Damon his heir and that likely would have been enough to give Damon the edge. I mean, he almost won the throne as it was, so we've got to think that a few more houses on Damon's side would have been enough.
0: Yeah, it's a close call. Like, you can imagine, in several years, Aegon could have been thinking, oh, this, this promising young knight will be grown up, and the, the realm will fall in love with him. I can name him as my heir. Everyone will prefer that, but he had to wait, and in the meantime, he died. Mm-hmm. But if that was the case, why didn't Aegon's will also contain a provision disowning the, on the Second? It did yeah. no such thing.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of questions about this.
0: And as important as it was, Aegon's reign, great change did not occur during it. Great change did occur because of his reign, especially right there at the end. But at the actual time of his death, his... Now legitimized bastards were still young, so the damage wouldn't be felt for a while still. The ones who shook the realm had more growing up to do before they could do all that damage.
1: When Daron became King Daron II, he was 30 years old, and he had a 14 year old heir in Baylor, and a 12 year old sister in Daenerys. He also had three sons, Ares, Rhaegel, and Makar, giving him a very stable line. Now he's the subject of our next episode. Daron would do his best to undo the work of his unworthy father. And complete the work of his uncle Baelor.
0: That's a lot of work. <laughs> Surely there are tales to be told of Gwyneth and Mia, Brendan Rivers' elder sisters, or of Beleriand, the child of the Black Pearls that might have been Aegon's. He had sisters named Narha and Bellonora, who took up the name of her mother to become the next Black Pearl. So, the line of Black Pearls continues even now... As, and Aegon's blood is still present in them if the tales are true.
1: But we don't know those tales or if those characters impacted the Blackfyre rebellions. What we do know is that Damon Blackfyre, like Baylor, was also around 14 years of age. A few months younger than, you know, than Baylor himself. Bittersteel, who probably didn't have that nickname yet, was around 12. Little 12-year-old Bittles, Bittersteel. Ooh,
0: baby Bittersteel becoming Ugh. a little teenager.
1: <laughs> uh, blood Raven, ditto to that nickname, probably didn't have it, was nine years old. And Shiera, likewise, was not yet the star of the sea, and she was only about three to five years old. They were no longer growing up as bastards, not legally, anyway.
0: We will continue this story with the next episode, as these bastards age up to... No longer bastards. <laughs> born bastards, legitimized bastards. <laughs> as they age up to a point at which they become dangerous, what will the new king, Daron II, do about all these legitimized <laughs> bastards? Tune in next time to find out. Mm-hmm. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, how about some end credits here? Thanks to everybody who's been supporting our Patreon campaign, which has only been around for a little more more than a month. It's been a success so far. To learn more about Patreon, go to www. history historyofwesteros and you can try to you can look, read uh, the, all the details there and see if uh, being a supporter would would fit you. Um, it does help create episodes faster and at a uh, greater pace, so we are very thankful to people who have enabled uh, the, you know, the, the production of History of Westeros to continue and to grow stronger, as, we're, as, as a lot of you have been following. We're trying to make a full-time go of this, and the early Patreon support has really, really helped. Um, however we're going to need more support if we're going to keep this going long term so thank you to everyone who has who has joined so far another way to support the show is through amazon you can shop at amazon.com using the links on our website anything you purchase having clicked through those links at amazon.com will give us credit and will not cost you any additional money had you just gone straight to amazon or any any other way Uh, so all your shopping needs can be done through Amazon that way, even though all the suggestions we have are pretty much all just Game of Thrones-related stuff, which, of course, is just a fine thing to purchase as well. The new 2015 calendar, or, you know, get the Dunkin' Egg books, or if you haven't got the World of Ice and Fire yet, what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, you can check out our website, www.historyofwesteros.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of good conversations going on the forums. This episode was was discussed a bit ahead of time, and people took the opportunity to give us feedback and suggestions for what they'd like to see in the Blackfire episodes. And since there's plenty more Blackfire episodes to come, there's still plenty of time for you to join in the conversations on the forums and throw in your two cents and make some suggestions. You may even find your name mentioned on the show if you give us a really good idea. Thanks again to the people that helped with this episode. Rainy Targaryen again, um, as well as Jeff Hartline and Stephen Atwell, who you'll be seeing in episodes uh, later in the series, and as well as Lord Varys from the forums and some other people whose names I forget, We'll get, get your mentions later, uh, those who deserve it. Um, and I think that's all we have for today. So until next time, everybody, Valar Morgulis.